Hey, Real Talkers, one of Canada's biggest wind farms is set to fire up in Alberta at peak generation. It'll provide enough juice to power like 160,000 homes, but it wasn't smooth sailing getting the $600 million project built. The province continues to treat renewables differently than its golden goose, oil and gas. Now, with jurisdictions all around the world competing for billions of dollars in investment in wind and solar, will Alberta still be Canada's energy capital 50 years from now? This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to what promises to be a powerful edition of Real Talk. It's like a dad joke in the first five seconds. We're talking about a big new wind farm that's coming online in the province of Alberta. They say enough to power 160,000 homes. This amid a cold snap that has got a lot of people talking about power sources and what fuels the grid, so to speak, and what the future of energy looks like in Alberta and across Canada, not just with actual power delivered to the grids and then to your home and your business, but also where the jobs are, where the infrastructure investments are, where the future is going, so to speak. This is a real project. It's built. It's ready to go. This isn't hypothetical. This isn't theoretical. And I'm looking forward to getting the details. Of course, we're going to ask about Alberta's moratorium on wind and solar development. Of course, we'll talk about other hurdles and public perception and, and why Alberta. Will Alberta still be able to make that claim as Canada's energy capital, let's say 50 years from now? I'm betting on yes. How about you? You can always let us know if you're joining us live, watching this show on YouTube or listening on the Mixler live streaming audio app presented by California Closets. You can always hit us up in the live chat. And don't forget, you can always send us an email as well to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's what Edgar did, a real talker who argues that we're living in a meat grinder. And we're going to get into his email as well before this show wraps. This show is happening with the support of our friends at Danatech who want to speak directly to those of you that are in charge of ensuring that everybody on your team is getting the industry's absolute best safety training. Danatech has been Alberta's safety training leader for more than three decades, and their courses are designed by experts with actual, real, on-the-job experience, so they're going to make a difference on your job site. Of course, that's your number one concern, right? Your number one priority. Save lost time to injuries. Stay, stay compliant with changing regulations and of course save money on training with Danatech. Why are big companies across the country using Danatech's WIMIS, TDG, electrical and lifting device courses? Well, probably because they got a lot to choose from. A catalog of more than 150 courses across all industries. If this is what you're handling on behalf of your team, make your job easier, get the best bang for your buck. Visit Danatech.com to see their courses and find out about bulk discounts coming up in just a second we're going to check in with thomas loturco he's the executive vp deals with government affairs for the eastern u.s and canada for a company called edp renewables this is the company that's been building and is set to open a big new wind farm that's about halfway between calgary and saskatoon it's uh near the alberta hamlets of sedalia and new bridge if you know that area uh and and this is a, a wind power generation capability wise that's equivalent they say to the consumption 
of about 160,000 Alberta homes. So like, you know, what would that be? Red Deer and Grand Prairie combined-ish? It's been a big investment in the local economy. They're looking at hundreds of millions of dollars, more than $600 million to be exact. There were about 400 people working on site as it was being built. And, of course, the big idea here, the big priority is diversifying Alberta's energy industry. There will be implications for landowners. There will be implications for people who are tapping into this power and, of course, for the province generally speaking. But the timing is interesting, isn't it? As temperatures drop below 30 and then below 35 and then below minus 40 just a short time ago, what was happening? We saw it by way of emergency alerts issued by the province. We saw the premier pleading with Albertans to decrease their power supply. I mean, the whole thing felt politically charged, didn't it? We, we've litigated this on the show over the past few episodes, in particular last week. You know, the fact that electric vehicles, for example, were number one on the list on that emergency alert of what the province was asking you to unplug. It, it felt like it was kind of means to an end. It felt like there was an end goal of maybe reiterating some of the narrative that we've seen from this provincial government or maybe it wasn't maybe that's just a big conspiracy theory couldn't ignore it though right it's not the first time that alberta's grid has been perilously close to rolling blackouts we've seen it and we know like dk david gray said on the show just last week that it's a bit of a blight it's a bit of a stain it's a bit of an embarrassment for alberta for the energy capital of canada to be put into a position where it can barely keep its homes heated and powered where it has to look to saskatchewan who has to look to manitoba like we talked about last week with quick dick mcdick so we didn't have those rolling blackouts. So we didn't have some folks in life or death situations losing power with no solution. So you could argue that people are paying more attention to energy now more than ever before. But not everybody's on the same page. Not everybody believes that Alberta should have transitioned off coal to natural gas. Not everybody believes that Alberta should be looking to diversify its grid. And other people think it's a no-brainer. We're going to talk to one of those folks on the show today. The uh, executive VP for the Eastern U.S., Canada, and Government Affairs for EDP Renewables North America, Thomas Loturco making his Real Talk debut. Thomas, thanks for making time for us. Congratulations on, I guess, getting set to cut the ribbon on a big new project. Tell us about it. Yeah, super happy to be here. And uh, what a project it is. It's actually the largest single project in our fleet uh, in North America. Um, so 300 megawatts. It's an investment, as you mentioned, over $600 million. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Obviously, Alberta is a challenging uh, jurisdiction to do work in and to get permitted and, and get everything built. But finally, this project is up and running. And uh, it's the culmination of just a lot of work from a lot of people. One thing that I think is really interesting is uh, the land base for the project is uh, somewhere there are around 50,000 acres. And so when you look at it on Google Earth, you can actually see the project outline from space. It's a really fantastic project. Unbelievable. Uh, in, a, in a minute, I want to get to, you know, sort of what the expectations are, the the implications on, on the real windy days when it's whipping, what that means and, and what the implications are when, when the wind is at a standstill. But you talk about Alberta as a challenging jurisdiction. You're certainly not the only one to say that. Uh, uh, in particular recently, but what do you mean? I mean, from the position of a guy who's doing government relations, from a guy that's working for a big wind farm company like yours, how did that manifest itself? 
Yeah, so I mean, it's a very prescriptive place to do the permitting process. The AUC has a number of different uh, hoops that you have to jump through. It means that when you are done, and if you've done a good job, then you have a project that has basically looked at all the impacts and is able to uh, speak very well about what those impacts will be, stakeholder relations, all those things. And so it actually took us about five and a half years before we got, uh, you know, from the time that we entered into the project to the time that we got AUC approval. And then it took a couple of years after that to go through the rest of the grid approvals and then, you know, get the project built. So, you know, uh, another thing that's very challenging, obviously, is the weather. Uh, we have a short growing season, a short uh, construction season here uh, in uh, Alberta. So, you know, there are a lot of different uh, challenges, but overall, um, we still look at it as a good place to invest. Uh, it certainly wouldn't be the first place that has a very prescriptive permitting regime where we've actually uh, been able to to build the project. Did you did this uh, moratorium that that the Alberta's United Conservative government put in place on on new wind and solar? Did you did you manage to dodge that one as construction was already getting close to completion, or did it impact your workforce or the project generally speaking? For Sharp Hills, it didn't impact us. And the reason was that we already had our AUC permit at the time that the moratorium was enacted. So uh, that didn't give us a, a problem on Sharp Hills. But we do have other projects that we're continuing to develop in Alberta. And that actually uh, has had a, a minor impact. The good thing that they did is in the middle of it, they said, well, uh, we will continue to accept applications. And so, so long as we see the end of February is the date where we start to see a processing of applications and that's done expediently. Then uh, personally, you know, for our company, it won't have an impact. Uh, however, for others, it definitely did. I think it was a little bit strange to um, single out wind and solar. Uh, you know, certainly those two technologies are, you know, what we think are, are really fantastic. And I should mention that I come from a company. This is EDP, it's Energy Estate Portugal. Uh, this is a company that operates gas. It's an op a company that operates coal. Uh, it's a company that runs the wires in three different jurisdictions. And then, of course, we have renewables. So we are an entity that really believes in an all of the above strategy, although over time, we'll continue to decarbonize uh, and, uh, and and look to be net zero by 2030. I mean, yeah, you're you're far from the only traditional energy company, or if you want to say oil and gas company, that's branching out or expanding into renewables. It seems like sort of an obvious, if not prudent, thing to do for the long-term health of a company, yeah? I, I think it's, it's good for the long-term health of the company, but it's also good to diversify just on, on the grid, right? I mean, so there are moments you were talking a little bit about the the issues that were that we saw in Alberta with coming very close to, um, you know, rolling blackouts, all of that, that it's good to have that all of the above strategy. It's good to have a strategy in which uh, you've diversified because there are a lot of different extreme weather events that are hitting each jurisdiction, whether that's PJM in the east of the United States, MISO right down the center. All of these different areas are seeing extreme weather events, and uh, you need to have backups. When uh, you were talking to David Gray the other day, he was explaining uh, the, um, the the simple math that's done on on having backups, making sure that if something has a 10% value rate and you back that up with another 10% value rate, you've got 1% and so on. I think that makes a whole lot of sense, especially, I'll give you a really good example. A lot of times, you know, wind, solar, sometimes it gets blamed for these things because it's a new kid on the block. But if you look at the uh, winter storm Elliot back in 2022, uh, and I, I, my family and I got stuck in that in Pennsylvania on our uh, on our way back for Christmas, mm. that was one of the windiest events. And actually, if it hadn't been windy, 
and our fleet was operating 100% for four straight days. If it hadn't been windy, you would have seen rolling blackouts uh, in in places like PJM and in other places near TVA. So it's really important to know that sometimes uh, having these different types of uh, energy um, sources are really important. Another another thing is look at Texas. It's a really good analog for uh, Alberta. Alberta is energy only. Texas is energy only, more or less. And if you saw in 2022, that summer was a super hot summer and they got within one gigawatt. So they have a peak load of about 81 gigawatts and they got within 80 uh, gigawatts or so they have peak generation of 81 gigawatts. And the load was about 80 gigawatts at one point. And they were very worried about rolling blackouts. Now, 2023, that summer was even hotter in Texas. And uh, you didn't see any of those concerns. What was the difference? You saw a bunch of solar that was installed in that intervening year, and it basically created a little bit more headroom. And so having a diversified energy strategy, I think, can solve a lot of the different problems. Extreme weather conditions come in all shapes and sizes, and we have to figure out how to do that in a reliable way. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Thomas Laturco with uh, EDP uh, Renewables North America. That David Gray interview, by the way, I appreciate you referencing that. That was back on January 15th. If audience wants to check it out, uh, the episode titled, Why is Alberta's Electricity Supply in Peril? And this, Thomas, of course, was on the heels. As a matter of fact, when we were talking to David, I think it was still with wind chill like minus 40. I mean, it was just absolutely brutal and and it gets people like a weather event like that gets people thinking about their power supply when otherwise the average person like me we just take it for granted you know i mean it, it we, we we sort of don't think we don't truly the average citizen i don't think understands when when you're talking to us about this project and, and the capacity of it and the capabilities of it you tell us how many megawatts it is the average person can't really wrap their mind around it can can you give us a sense of of at at peak power generation uh, the portion, you know, the piece of the pie that you think that a wind farm like this one uh, could represent on, on Alberta's grid? Like, how, how big is this? We're talking about what, 170,000 homes. That's got to be a pretty big deal for a wind farm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a big onshore wind farm. And, uh, you know, if you you know, I think David Gray and it was a really uh, interesting interview. I listened to it uh, in, in detail. Um, he mentioned that it w- that you have peak loads of somewhere around eight gigawatts. Uh, so eight thousand megawatts uh, in, in the province. And uh, to put it in the context, uh, this is a 300 megawatt project. So 300 versus eight thousand. It's a large project. Uh, but it's certainly uh, just one piece of the puzzle. And, I, I you know, I, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, this project's in the special areas uh, of Alberta, a place that uh, not a lot of people have been near Oyen. Uh, and it's actually the easement for the Keystone Pipeline goes directly through the project. And we're really proud of the fact that we were those 400 construction jobs that we were creating during that time. They were actually created right at the time that the Keystone project in the U.S. was rejected and therefore all construction had to stop. And so we feel like, you know, we were part of the energy legacy of the special areas, being able to create jobs, being able to create tax base and employment at a time when what was supposed to be a very big project uh, didn't go through. And so, you know, that that's something we're really proud of. The thing that I always say, um, you know, given my upbringing, where I'm from, I come from the rust belt in in uh, northeast u.s 
I, the economic development side of the project, we have 50, 60 uh, individual landowners who are going to see payments from this. We have massive amounts of tax base that go to the special areas. This, if somebody had offered something like that in my hometown, maybe I would have been able to stay there, uh, for example. Uh, and so I, I'm just really proud of what the project's going to bring and uh, not only the reliability, but uh, also hedge against gas prices, a hedge against uh, power prices in the future. Uh, Thomas, interesting, and we'll put this in the show notes so people can link directly to it, uh, or folks can just Google Sharp Hills. That's the name of the wind farm, Sharp Hills EDPR. Uh, that's the company you'll see there, an installed capacity of 297 megawatts of renewable energy. It talks a little bit about the area, the Sharp Hills named by early surveyors who used them as a reference point for surrounding area. And the project area, the note says, primarily used, at least up to this point, uh, for grain farming and cattle grazing. Uh, one of the objections that we had heard in the context of talking about that moratorium and pressing pause was that some landowners weren't thrilled, and we, there were a million theories about why. Uh, some thought it may be jealousy, who was getting paid and who wasn't. Some thought that some folks may just be inherently against renewables. But the idea, you saw it, you know, the, the blight on the landscape, argued the government, the, the big wind towers, the big solar panels. We don't know if people want to look at that. People concerned about whether or not we're converting prime agricultural land into solar farms or wind farms and is is that a good use of this natural resource how do you answer those objections when you're meeting with landowners how do those conversations go can can you take us into it sure i mean so we as part of this process in alberta you have to do what's called the participant involved uh, involvement program uh, pip and uh you have to talk to and, and explain everything about the project to every landowner who's impacted and that's everybody on title. That's everybody who has a pipeline going through the land. That's everybody. And you have to make sure that if you don't get in touch with them, you try five times and just realize that it's a dead end. You have to talk to everybody. And then and for this particular project, we went through a hearing where it had specific topics, aviation, it had viewscape, it had uh, wildlife impacts, all of that. And you have to litigate that through the uh, AUC process. And so by the time you get to the end, every single impact has been it really, really study. But the other thing that I want to mention is this particular project, you talked a little bit about the landscape. This project is situated in an area that is private land surrounded by crown land. And so this this area is particularly cattle grazing and also uh, there's, there's corn and wheat. And we only for wind are using about 2% of the area that's been leased. And so all of the farmers are going to continue to farm in this area right around the turbines, uh, which are, you know, somewhere between a kilometer, a kilometer, a half. Uh, you've got the um, the layout right there. So they're, they're somewhere between a kilometer and a kilometer, a half apart from each other. And so the, it's, it's business as usual for the farmers. Uh with the exception that they've got another revenue source, which allows them to kind of hedge against some of those bad years where you have drought, which this area, I mean, it was Canada's Dust Bowl uh, back in the 20s and 30s. So um, this is a really good way for uh, farmers to maintain their uh, investment. Well, I think people that have the wherewithal to look you know, past their own nose, and that's most people, including landowners, are paying attention to weather patterns, climate patterns, and, and understanding that very few areas uh, in an agricultural sense are getting more rain than they were five years ago. And if they're getting more, it's too much, and it's a flood, and it's a mess. I mean, all of this, obviously, part of a bigger conversation. You know, I, I, I mused or I wondered aloud if Alberta will still be able to make the claim as Canada's energy capital 50 years from now. I'm a, a proud Albertan. And my 
bet uh, is yes, I'm going to bet on Alberta. And I, and I think that generally speaking, I see the innovators and the entrepreneurs and uh, the tradespeople and everybody around me. And I think that, that all the, the resources, natural resources, human resources are there. Uh, but we also need to recognize there needs to be friendliness on behalf of government, on behalf of regulatory measures, et cetera. Uh, why Alberta uh, for a company like yours? I mean, do, do we get more wind than elsewhere? Do we, do we get, we, obviously, we get some, some more sunlight at some parts of the year, less in other parts of the year. Does Alberta have a natural inherent advantage when it comes to renewables? It, it does. It's, uh, it, it, it's a sunny place. Uh, and it's also a very windy place. Uh, the, the winds in, you know, down by Lethbridge, all the way out to Oyen are fantastic. Uh, so it's one of the windier sites in our fleet. Uh, makes a lot of sense uh, where we do solar or where we're developing solar. It's uh, surprisingly high capacity factors for solar uh, out in Alberta, just because there is, uh, it, you know, a lot of the clouds are basically filtered by the mountains in the in the west. And so it's a really good place to work. Um, you know, the energy only market. It has its ups and it has its downs, but it also has uh, the fact that there's liquidity. And so what you see for a company like us is the off takers don't need to be necessarily those incumbents like your Transaltas and your Capital Powers and, and those entities. Uh, they can also be what we call commercials and, and industrials. And so specifically, uh, this project, the offtake of the power is by uh, TransCanada Energy. And so they were able to come in and they use this as a hedge against their power costs uh, going forward. And I do want to talk a little bit about the power costs here, because that's always a question with renewables. If Alberta is to be the energy capital of Canada in the future, and it's going to have a diversified energy mix, it has to make sense for everyone. And this is what I'm really most proud of. The project itself, uh, the the power price that we sell, uh, is it's a lot less than the current uh, uh, pool prices in Alberta. And so this is a real, when, when the wind is blowing out at Sharp Hills, it's suppressing the overall power price in Alberta. And that's really good for Albertans in their bills. And the other thing I'd say is that because our fuel is free, we sign up for that contract for 20 years, or in this case, it's 15 years, but uh, we sign a flat price for that whole time. What that means is that in this era of a lot of talk about inflation, we are an actual deflationary instrument, meaning that we can guarantee that power price uh, over time, even as gas prices go up and down, even as uh, you know the price for other uh, fuels go up and down, we're able to maintain that for the entire uh, contract length do you do you sort of like have this sense that the public the general public is is open to this welcoming to this do you do you get the sense that there's kind of this healthy cynicism that will be answered over time as the technology rewards people with lower prices, more reliability. Like, how do you approach that? You know, some industries go, you know, we better get in front of this and make sure we advocate and represent ourselves well. And other industries go, I'm not really too concerned about people on Twitter. Well, where do you land? Yeah, I, you know, I spend a lot of time in communities. Uh, I travel around my, my areas east of the Mississippi in the U.S. and all of Canada. And I've, I've been to uh, a number of small communities. I come from a small community. And the best conversations I have are people that have a healthy amount of skepticism, a little bit of, uh, you know, they ask really good questions. And they, and they try to understand from reliable sources what the truth is about the energy mix and what the impacts are from a wind, solar, or storage project. And to me, those are great questions. Happy to answer them. It's where you start to get some of these, uh, this conjecture or you, 
you know, like when people go on Facebook and they say, well, this must be the gospel because I read it there, that becomes a little bit more difficult because, uh, you know, as, as you probably know, information can can spread, uh, misinformation can spread quite easily. And so that's, um, for us, the thing that we fight against is that misinformation part, because we think that what we're doing is uh, a really fantastic generational investment in communities. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, Dwayne here in our live chat watching on YouTube has a question about Montana and hearing about some new projects opening there. And he's he's curious to know kind of how Alberta stacks up. Why don't, why don't I phrase the question to you like this? Is there a jurisdiction, uh, North America or anywhere in the world, that, that is doing a particularly great job, uh, you think, diversifying into renewables? And, and that could be on a, a attracting capital. It could be rolling out projects, cutting red tape, whatever the case is. Is there a jurisdiction on planet Earth that's doing it best? Wow, that's a very hard question. I think uh, we say that there are varying degrees of difficulty in right. every jurisdiction. Uh, and that's that's not a, an attempt not to answer the question. It's simply the, the truth. Uh, we uh, I, I, I will say this. Um, there was a question, I think you and, uh, and uh, David were talking about uh, the possibility of a capacity market in uh, Alberta. And uh, the the question is, does that make sense? Do we need to pay for backup and, and all that? And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Capacity markets are difficult to get right. But I can tell you in, there are two locations in, in the U.S. That, I, that come to mind right now. One is the mid-continent system operator and the other one, and that basically goes from Manitoba all down to the Gulf, Gulf Coast. The other one is called PJM, which is Pennsylvania, Jersey, Maryland, but it encompasses a bunch of states all the way over to Chicago and Illinois. And those two locations uh, have capacity markets. But when you sit with incumbent generators, gas generators, uh, coal generators, uh, they'll say, well, there's not enough money in the capacity market uh, to incentivize investment. And so I really think the most difficult thing to do is incentivize investment in a project that is going to be, you know, have amortized expenses over 20, 30 years. based on today's knowledge of what the market is. And so I think I think that's it, that's common to every single transmission operator, every single jurisdiction in North America is how do you incentivize the investment? And if we can understand the best way to do that for the long term because people can't make a 3-year investment, a 5-year investment, as I mentioned, this is a 600 million dollar project. We need to know that the investment case is there for the long term, but that's the hurdle that we have to get over in every single jurisdiction in North America. Uh, is, is this still accurate? I'm, I'm reading, uh, quoting from airswift.com. This is this was published in 2022. I know a lot can change, but it has Sharp Hills, this wind farm we're talking about in Alberta, listed as the biggest wind farm in the country. Does it still hold that title as far as you know? We uh, we did a little research on this, actually, uh, and I think there are two others that are larger than ours. Um, as far as I understand, one is in um, uh, I thought one was in uh, Ontario and the other one may be Alberta or B.C., but uh, I think we are third uh, okay. right now. It's it's interesting to see, though. And again, I, I'm citing Airswift.com for people that want to look it up themselves. Uh, but they list Canada's wind energy projects. Again, this was from 2022. Uh, over the next 10 years, B.C. with five projects, a total value uh, investment wise of four billion dollars. Uh, Alberta, 18 projects as opposed to five in B.C. Uh, worth five billion and Ontario with two worth three billion. I mean, sort of at that time, Alberta leading the nation, which is what we were talking about in the context of that moratorium. It's just I think it's interesting for people to see in, in a in a 
you know, a part of the world in a, in a province where obviously a lot of people that have had wonderful careers in oil and gas are very protective of that industry. Uh, and politicians, sure. obviously, you know, they wouldn't prefer the word, but they pander to that industry because they know where their support comes from as well. Everybody knows it. Uh, at the same time, you look at the potential that Alberta has, and not just potential, uh, the shovels in the ground, the investment that's happening. And I think for, for people that are working in energy i love that point you made even about your own company and you're not the only company that's involved in coal and oil and gas and wind and a whole bunch of other forms of energy i think it's just a really really good news story um and i think that it should it should uh, encourage albertans regardless of you know what form of energy industry they're working in well i can i can tell you that uh I, i'm doing this interview right now from our north american headquarters in houston texas mm -hmm. uh so if you could ever see the confluence between renewables and oil and gas this is the perfect place to see it um we are we come uh right now from our we're, we're one of the largest tenants in uh a building that's also occupied by hess so uh you know i think uh that's why i think that alberta's uh, position in the landscape is uh, the energy capital of Canada. Uh, I, I don't think we'll be threatened because I think, uh, and I think our contribution to that on the renewable side actually bolsters that claim. Great stuff. Uh, Thomas Laturco, EVP for Eastern U.S., Canada, and Government Affairs. That's not a light job title, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I was reading that. I'm like, that's all one person? Uh, anyway, for EDP Renewables in North America, you can find out uh, more about what they're doing by following uh, the link in the show notes. Uh, thanks, Thomas, for doing this. We appreciate it. Really appreciate you having me. Thank you. You got it, man. Uh, Thomas, checking in from Houston, Texas. Uh, we'll get to some of your comments on this in just a second. That conversation made possible by our friends at Friesen Brothers. 16 different Alberta communities. I wonder which would be the closest one to that wind farm. Uh, give a shout out to some of those Friesen Brothers across the province. We love that one in Fort Saskatchewan. We love that one in Hinton and Brooks. Shout out to you as well. There's 16 of them still all family owned. Coming up on 75 years, if you can believe it. Friesen Brothers has you covered on the comfort food through this cold month of January. You can check out online all the different links, including that recipes link at Friesen.com. Not only do they have great ideas and the recipes on how to make them happen, like that shepherd's pie. How about a Greek chicken wrap with tzatziki sauce or slow cooker barbecue ribs? And there's more and more and more beef stroganoff in your slow cooker. They've also got videos on how to make it. So you're going to look like a genius in front of your family or friends. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. You know, we mentioned California closets. They're the ones that present that Mixler live streaming audio app is a great way to listen to us on the go. California closets wants you to remember that they've got you covered so you can meet your commitment to yourself in 2024 to declutter and to get organized california closets the experts in custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home it all starts with a free design consultation whether it's your walk-in closet you've always dreamed of maybe it's the home office slash guest room that could use a murphy bed or a laundry room that desperately needs to be organized and don't forget about the garage as well nobody does garages like california closets you'll find them online at californiaclosets.ca if your big home improvement is going to be outdoors and it's coming up this spring uh, you are going to want to check in this week right now without delay with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. You know, we're talking a lot about climate, even right there with Thomas. And we see the changes in weather patterns and the implications that it has on 
what's happening. Precipitation, drought. Well, landscapers need to be paying attention to this as well, right? The team at Eden Landscaping is always leveling up their knowledge and their understanding of new technologies, new techniques of design to ensure that your yard will weather those storms or those droughts as best as possible. I mean, influence the plants you're putting in there, the type of turf that you're going with, and a million other factors. You're going to want to work with a team that has more than 20 years of experience and has earned the return business of its clients, and that is Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Lots of chat in our YouTube live uh, this morning. Uh, I see a lot of people talking about you know bird fatalities, bird deaths with wind farms, and it, it reminds me of a an interview that we did on this show a couple of years ago. We talked to an expert, Johnny. I think it was out of Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, and they were talking about how many birds die annually by hitting office towers and buildings, yeah, and windows, bay windows on yeah. houses, and uh, it, it's always kind of a, a gut punch type conversation to have. But uh, one of the things I found, and we fact checked as well with uh, aviary experts, uh, scientists at the University of Alberta is that it, typically it's it's the opponents of wind turbines that are citing e- enormous and exaggerated stats about yeah. bird deaths by wind turbines as, as, as a way to suggest that we shouldn't be doing that. And, and, and I feel like we never want to be in a position where we say, uh, well, you know, wildlife is going to die no matter what. But if we look at the toll that forestry has taken, if we look at tailings ponds and yeah. the oil sands, I know people don't like to think about that. But uh, y- you look at the, 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 the toll that human industry takes. What about fisheries and, yeah. and the animals that get caught up in those nets? I of mean, uh, obviously, humans, we have a toll, take I a toll on planet Earth. I don't want to say we're a plague, but. It's hard to live alongside nature and not have an impact. I mean, you're talking about all these power lines, like birds fly into power lines. Um, you know, animals get caught in fences where we're trying to keep them out from food. I mean, and, and that's another thing where, where we're growing food. Lots of small rodents, lots of small animals die. So I, it's never going to be perfect. No matter what we create to sustain ourselves, whether it's energy or food, we're going to be impacting nature there's going to be death toll from that and and it just happens yeah absolutely uh, by the way i saw a quick note in here i won't spend too much time on it but i saw justin pop into the chat he says he missed positive reflections presented by kubi renewable energy on the first episode of the week and he was wondering what that was all about you, you can obviously go back into our uh, archives on uh, youtube or on the podcast and uh it was a email from shalane who let us know about the impact that real talk has had on her life and it kind of made our month to be honest to hear from her and the funny part about it justin there's a bit of a twist uh, involving chat GPT and so I encourage you to check that out yourself I don't want to spoil the surprise <laughs> if you didn't have a chance to hear it yourself uh, we got an amazing email from Edgar and uh, okay. Edgar's a real talker he wrote in and he said I, he said I, I've, I've been holding on to this I've been sort of you know tweaking this and working on this and he said I, you know I, I'd love this to be considered for the flamethrower uh, presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park that's a, a tradition of ours every Friday give you a chance to blow off some steam and and say what Whatever's pissing you off, basically. Um, he goes, but I think it might be too long. And, and I don't feel like it's a flamethrower. I feel like it's like a great feature interview on the show. And we try to get into our mailbag uh, at least a few times a week because we get a lot of emails and we appreciate those of you that take the time uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. So Edgar's subject line, Alberta is a meat grinder. And it obviously caught our attention. He says, there's nothing like the way Albertans identify with beef. He says, who hasn't heard somebody talk about how they brought a cooler full of, of, of AAA 
Angus Alberta steak to a camp or out on a trip. He says it's a point of real pride for us as much as it's a place of comfort. It's, it's something that a majority of us probably share in Alberta. Edgar says there's something else that we have in common too. Uh, much like the cattle that dot our prairies, Albertans are fattened up, put out to pasture, and eventually put through the meat grinder that is this province and I thought that this worked, by the way, reading this after talking about high utility prices and agriculture and renewables. And back to Edgar's words, he says, now, whether it's the perilous slow motion collapse of Alberta's healthcare system, uh, chewing through the ever decreasing pool of talented healthcare workers or the near factory farm level condition of our classrooms where students are stuffed into every possible crevice that can fit a chair. If there is one to spare at all, Alberta has become a meat grinder that chews up our best and brightest now this isn't the case he says for our doctors or teachers either maybe you're working in our cities where the province is twice as likely to bring out the stick as they are the carrot of municipal funding maybe you're working in our communities watching in terror as our unhoused neighbors are forced to relive trauma upon trauma rebuilding their lives every day as alberta grinds up their possessions talking about, of course, taking these uh, camps, these encampments apart, grinds up their possessions, their rights, and their dignity. Edgar says, maybe you're one of the people in our 2SLGBTQIA plus communities who made their homes across this province, who hear the gears twisting over their friends and families east and are terrified of something similar happening in Alberta as in New Brunswick and Saskatchewan. Maybe you're someone who saw the protests that happened a few months ago, watching as people marched against your existence and the existence of kids like you. The grinder doesn't discriminate, or maybe it does. Alberta is a meat grinder, says Edgar. It doesn't ask you what you want. It tells you what you want. It gaslights you, telling you that the numbers you have are flat out wrong, whether it's the publicly available data on shelter capacity or healthcare wait times or emissions or the tracking of diseases like COVID and RSV. Even the truth fed through the grinder, twisted, mangled until it's suitable for digestion. There will be no disagreeing with the meat grinder. This isn't up for debate because if you do, you'll be chewed up. That's the fate of Alberta beef after all. Until we collectively, as a province, agree to stand up to those who are turning the handle, we will never escape the grinder. The metaphors. That from Ed. Wow. That was really good. Way to go, bud. Yeah, I'm thinking about <laughs> trimming the fat. He could have yeah. gone there. He could have <laughs> talked a bit about marbling, searing. Sure, yeah. You know, Chicago style, blackened <laughs> on the outside, rare inside. I mean, there's a lot to work with there, but I love yeah. that because Edgar's obviously somebody uh, who's thoughtful, yeah. somebody who I think uh, is driven. I don't know this person, but driven by empathy. Sure. Uh, sounds to me. And uh, touching on some things that are very real issues. You know, we hear from people all the time and we don't read every email that we get but some of you check in from er's you know you're there with a, a family member or you're there yourself and you let us know that you've been waiting for 11 hours to see somebody uh, we hear emails uh we get emails all the time from teachers who say please don't use my name but we wanted to let you know how this is manifesting itself in real life from doctors from healthcare workers uh, got a message just the other day uh from an orthopedic surgeon who said that things are absolutely out of control in their orbit uh, specifically when it comes to their surgeries. And we appreciate those emails. We appreciate you letting us know what life is really like so we can have real information driving real conversations about stuff that we know 
matters to you in a big yeah. way. Thanks for letting us know about reality because we're stuck in here all day. We have no idea what's going on outside other <laughs> yeah, than, right. you know, the internet. Outside the comfort of our, <laughs> the comfort of our, of our own walls. Um, why don't we, for, for people that don't necessarily follow us on TikTok, number oh, one, man. what are you doing? Yeah. You've got to follow Real Talk RJ on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. But do you want to fire up yesterday? We asked a question, of course, this, I don't think you have to be a hockey fan to be interested in this story. Corey Perry, a Stanley Cup champion, a first-round draft pick back in the day. He's won a World Junior Gold. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's won an Olympic gold medal. He's tailed off a bit skill-wise in the later years of his career. He's 38 years old, but he still has provided value for teams that have been looking for deep playoff runs. As a matter of fact, he went to three straight Stanley Cup finals just a short time ago. I mean, he lost all three, but still... You can't pin that all on Corey Perry. The Chicago Blackhawks bring him in to mentor their star new player, Connor Bedard. But after just 16 games, Perry gets the boot. His contract terminated. Very unusual in the National Hockey League for what that club called unacceptable conduct. Nobody knows what it was. But he sat in penance for a couple of months. He told reporters yesterday that he's been meeting with counselors, mental health professionals. He says he's in a better place, and the Edmonton Oilers have signed him. We ask, is it worth it? Over the weekend, the Edmonton Oilers signing Corey Perry, who many people will remember, saw a very unusual circumstance. His contract terminated by the Chicago Blackhawks for what they called unacceptable conduct. Nobody really knows what happened there. It's kind of like an island of misfit toys, the <laughs> yeah. uh, Oilers lately. But I mean, a- anyone can turn around, get help and change. I believe that. Corey Perry, he's a he's a Stanley Cup champion. He's an Art Ross trophy winner, but he's been to several Stanley Cup finals. He knows how to win. He knows how to be a pro. I see Corey Perry scoring a Big goal wow. this playoff run. I think it's going to be a significant one. I don't know if it's going to be a series win. I don't know what, Chuck, but I see Corey Perry making a difference for Edmonton. And I have always believed that a hockey team that is smart enough to hire, recruit bad boys with something to prove is a whip-smart hockey team. I did notice this morning they're not going to be playing Perry uh, for the next two games, which is probably smart because Blackhawks come up, I think, on Thursday. I think you got to play him against the I, Blackhawks. I don't know, though. With everything that went on, I think it's safe. And also, you don't want to mess with this lineup right now. Uh, we're going for 14 in a row tonight, 15 in a row on Thursday. A big game on the Saturday will be 16. And then just before the break, the only one I'm concerned about is Las Vegas. If they can get past Las Vegas... It's really good because we're close to the record. I think that'll put us at 17. I think the record, you said yesterday 17. I think it's 18, though. Uh, but beating Vegas would be great, but then you got the all-star break. So these guys will be sitting around and not doing anything for a week or so, and I think that's where we might fall off a bit. But this is just, you turn on any TV, radio station, podcast right now, all anyone's talking about is how incredible this run is for the Oilers right now. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't think I, uh, I, don't think I introduce them uh, to the team until they lose. I don't think I, I think that's a good bet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I honestly think you wait till you lose a game before you bring him in. Yeah. It's like you don't, you know, if, I, it just you, you don't mess with that formula. There's something special going on. So we asked, and, and here's what folks had to say uh, on our TikTok on the comments. I love this from Dave. Uh, thanks, Dave, for following. He says Ugh, something I actually agree with Jesperson on. Uh, Dave was having to wrestle with that yesterday. I say it's worth it. By the way, my call, bring him in. What do you have to lose? He's cheap. You can healthy scratch him if he's not helping. You're not going to lose anything. Obviously, the National Hockey League. Uh, 
uh, met with Corey Perry. Gary Bettman declared him fit and able to play, clear to play. So it's not like uh, he's going to be facing criminal charges for anything. Uh, Brad says the Leafs missed out on this one. Uh, Low salary and will 100% add depth and grit to the oil. Uh, Ross says he didn't break any laws. So who cares? Leave him alone. Let him focus on being a hockey player. Um, And Sue says unless it's a criminal offense, then, uh, you know, who cares? Right. So that from Sue. Uh, You can let us know what you think anytime to talk at Ryan Jesperson.com. We want to know how these stories are landing with you. And of course, we want to know where you're coming from so we can keep our conversations real. We had an opportunity to meet yesterday with the team at Athabasca University, and they've got so many cool things going on. In the weeks to come, we're going to tell you about some of their new programs, some of the amazing research that's been going on there as well. You know, by the way, we talked to Dana Larson a while ago on whether or not he thinks that Canada should legalize mushrooms, like magic mushrooms. If you missed that interview, check it out. So much fun. He's the guy that mailed shrooms to all 87 MLAs in B.C., Uh, So I'm laughing about this with the team at Athabasca University yesterday. They go, do you know that we have a research group that's actually looking into, that's actually researching magic mushrooms? I was like, what? And they go, yeah, well, we're we're one of the biggest research universities in Canada. If you can imagine it, there's a good chance that they're researching it at Athabasca University. It's just one of the millions of reasons that tens of thousands of Canadians choose AU for their post-secondary journey. You can find them online at AthabascaU.ca. All this talk about renewables, we'd be remiss if we didn't remind you that we are so proud to partner with Western Canada's busiest solar installers. That's the team at Kubi Renewable Energy, and they want us to let you know that they are hiring right now. Go to the careers link at kubienergy.ca. That's K-U-B-Y. You can see why so many people, whether you're uh, engineers or installers, whether you've got your uh, apprenticeship figured out or you've already got your ticket, if you're in sales, office administration, you name it, Kubi would love to add you to their team. From their offices in Edmonton, Calgary, Kamloops, and Lethbridge, they're installing more panels across Alberta and BC than anybody else. Again, that's kubienergy.ca. And all this talk about that cold snap and, and some of the toll that it took on infrastructure. We know that a lot of you, uh, probably more than we'd like to admit, are dealing with things like burst pipes and frozen drains. A person on my street just chatting with them yesterday. Uh, they've been navigating that nightmare for the past few days. If that's you, if this is grabbing your attention, take two seconds to check out CompleteCareRestoration.ca. Our friends at Complete Care have been working for more than 25 years on reversing fire damage, flood damage. They're experts in getting rid of black mold and asbestos. This isn't the type of thing that you want to leave to just anybody and definitely not something you want to handle yourself. The stakes are too high. They're experts in maintaining open communication with you through the job, and they handle all the documentation and the reporting for regulatory compliance to make sure that you have peace of mind. It's all part of what comes with dealing with complete care restoration. Through the rest of this week, we're going to be paying attention to developments down in the U.S. You saw uh, Nikki Haley, uh, a bit of a bounce back uh, just last night, making things interesting in that race for the presidential nomination, that Republican nomination for president. We're going to be taking a closer look at what the liberals are doing in Montreal as well in that cabinet retreat. If you missed our conversation as we wrap now with Charles Adler, I want to encourage you to check it out. That was our Monday episode of the show, January 22nd, his take on what the Trudeau cabinet, we're talking the ministers need to do, how they need to change their mindset to gain back ground lost to Pierre Poliev. 
Is the next federal election a foregone conclusion? Far from it. We'll continue to follow that story and others, including the NDP leadership race. Thanks for being a part of it. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.